Bright sunshine, a big crowd all together. A beautiful day for Blue Jays baseball. As Blue Jays look to sew up this series against the Oakland Athletics. Case Peterson will be the hitter. Case Peterson pops up. Bichette there to finish the ball game. The Blue Jays ran away with this one. Historic home run for George Springer. Another big day for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And plenty to celebrate for the Toronto Blue Jays, taking two out of three from the Oakland Athletics over the weekend. Two of three. Two of three against the Oakland A's. Not bad. It sets up another interesting week for the Blue Jays. And we got a lot of information about this team in a pretty short period of time as well. So lots to dive into here on a mini at the letters light version of the show at the letters uh, just with me today ben here with you to discuss what's going on with the blue jays arden is off this week he will be back next week so we'll have a regular podcast with myself and arden coming up when the blue jays are visiting the white Sox in chicago next week to discuss the latest there and even this week we have another one in the books so shy is going to be joining me to discuss the latest with the team in just a couple of days. But in the meantime, day off for the Blue Jays on Monday as I'm recording this here and thought, let's dive in to a few of the topics around the team. And I think, you know, there is a lot to discuss here. I got a few notes. We'll dive in and um, see where it takes us. But thanks for tuning in. Thanks for joining us on the show today, which is produced by Mike Rogerson. So thanks to Mike for making all the production happen here on ATL. Thanks as well to you for listening. You can find At The Letters, of course, wherever you find your podcasts. Appreciate you joining me for this one today. So with the Oakland series, I mean, we knew the athletics were not a good team coming in. We knew that they were historically bad. And I wasn't exactly sure what that would look like. But watching them play, it was pretty clear that they're bad in every possible way that a baseball team can be bad. They didn't pitch well. They didn't have a lot to go for them offensively. And their fielding was really bad too. I mean, we saw wild pitches lead to runs. We saw some really poor defense where they aren't able to convert double plays, where they aren't able to make routine plays at times. Even in the outfield, right? Like I was kind of excited to be watching Asturi Ruiz because you look at the numbers and this guy enters the series leading Major League Baseball with 39 stolen bases. I mean, that is an absurd amount, considering last year the Major League stolen base leader, uh, John Birdie, last year had 41 on the entire season. So you're thinking, okay, Ruiz, this guy's going to be dynamic. It's going to be fun. Turns out he never gets on base, so he doesn't actually get to use the speed that has made him the MLB stolen base leader. In center field, like he was kind of a disaster. On his way to third, Ruiz misplayed it, so the Blue Jays will take advantage. Merrifield cruises in, and Toronto's on top. It was it was really rough watching him play center field, and of course, you know we're spoiled watching Kevin Kiermaier and Dalton Varsho out there, so there is a little bit of a um, you know an, an obvious disadvantage for anyone coming into Rogers Center, but. Ruiz was overmatched. Like, it made me think this guy is the kind of player who's almost like a really good fantasy player, but then a real-life player, it doesn't quite add up. It just isn't there. And and I think that was emblematic of the A's who end up, you know, taking one of three 
from the Blue Jays in over the course of the weekend. And look, the Blue Jays should have won Friday. Um, they had their chances. Chris Bassett wasn't sharp. The offense wasn't wasn't there for the Blue Jays. So they they should have won. But you take two of three, and and they emerge in playoff position. So this is kind of where they should be for sure. We'll see how things fluctuate from here to the end of the year. I mean, they could easily lose their grip on that and regain it. We'll see how it all unfolds. But for now, um, there were honestly a lot of positives from that Oakland series. So I got a few notes jotted down here from that series in particular, and then a few sort of main topics to get to. Vlad Jr., Alec Manoa, and then I want to discuss the trade deadline, where things stand, with a little more than a month remaining. So those are sort of the three main topics today. But I got a few little notes jotted down just out of that Oakland series. I was doing the the radio call alongside Ben Schulman. And so in that in that role, you're really locked in play to play and pitch to pitch. So it's uh, a good chance to sort of um, share some of those observations here. Starting with, I mean, you say Kikuchi, right? Like on Sunday was, I think, as good as I've ever seen him. Swing and a miss. Kikuchi ties him up with a high slider. Three strikeouts in four batters faced for Yusei Kikuchi. Peterson, the first left-handed batter he faces. Fastball, called strike three. 96 on the outer third. Nothing Peterson could do with that. And I know it's the A's, but... Not everyone goes out and throws seven innings of one-run ball, even when you're facing the A's. It's not automatic. And Kikuchi was great. It was it was a dominant performance when you look at the pitching line. Uh, there's no question about that. And even watching him, he was so emphatic with his body language, his finishes on the mound. You have the high leg kick um, as he's pitching in the seventh inning on the finish, on the follow-through. is. is left leg is basically kicking up to his the bill of his cap um and and really giving the blue jays some innings when they needed it so that's ideal i mean this is a guy right now with a 3.75 era that's that's really uh close to the best case scenario for yusei kikuchi and i know he's been an all-star a couple years ago that's not the kind of season he's having now but look he's a he's a fifth starter right he's a fourth on this team he's a fourth starter and he's performing at a really, really high level. So the Jays are thrilled with what he's doing right now, should be thrilled, and that's that's huge. As they move ahead to have four starters who are somewhat dependable, Yusei Kikuchi is a huge part of that. Beyond Kikuchi, Kevin Biggio. That ball is smoked. Deep right field and gone. Kevin Biggio kicks down the door with a three-run homer. His seventh of the season has made it a Got to touch on on Kevin Biggio because for the first six, seven weeks of the season, he looked lost. He didn't really do anything of note. Offensively, it was a grind for him. He was underperforming what he's capable of. And then, you know, you look back, and I've got the numbers here, his last 22 games. So this is a stretch that takes us back into May. Kevin Biggio's last 22 games. He has five home runs, um, including one on Sunday. And his OPS in that time is 954. So, I mean, nobody is expecting Kevin Biggio to have a 954 OPS from here on. But given how slowly he started, for him to be at this point right now, producing at this level, at a time that Kirk is on the injured list and Belt has been on the injured list, and they've needed an extra bat from that bench to step up and take over some playing time, Kevin Biggio 
has been that guy. And that has been so important to this team. So, you know, I, I wanted to highlight that because it's one of those things that can get overlooked. Santiago Espinal also had a good series against Oakland offensively. I, I think that I'm going to need to see more than a few games to be sort of sold or convinced that Santiago Espinal is is where he should be. But hey, it has to start somewhere. And uh, a couple of games in that direction uh, are certainly better than nothing. As for the catching, okay, so we're, we're talking right now about a team that has only Danny Jansen healthy uh, when it comes to their their main catching tandem. Alejandro Kirk still recovering from the, uh, the hand laceration uh, that he sustained in Texas. And he's doing well. I mean, he's taking swings, he's playing catch, taking the steps that you would want to see him take, but he's not eligible to return from the injured list just yet. Then on Sunday, Tyler Heineman swings and grabs the the left kind of oblique back area, his left side area, which is never good. I mean, for anyone, it's never good, but especially for a major league hitter, all the rotation you have to do, the amount of force that you do, um, it's a little bit concerning. Um, and he left the game. So as I record this right now, unclear what it's going to mean for Tyler Heineman. And, you know, I understand like he's the, he's the third string catcher on this team. This isn't, it's not like we're talking about Boba Shad or George Springer right here when it comes to the amount of at-bats and when, when it comes to the significance that you'd expect from him. But at the same time, Catcher is a position where you never want to be caught shorthanded. And I don't think the Blue Jays want to use Dalton Varsho at catcher if they can help it. So we'll see. I mean, it might mean reaching to the minor leagues. And and honestly, if I was guessing, I would suggest that it's very likely the Blue Jays are at least exploring the possibility of acquiring uh, a quad A type catcher in trade, depending on how Heinemann's feeling and what the MRI said. But you got to be prepared for Tuesday um, to have someone else behind Danny Jansen and Rob Brantley has battled injuries at AAA. So I would expect the Blue Jays are making some calls on that front to see what they can do when it comes to uh, building up some catching depth. He waited 31 games here at Rogers Center to get his first of the season. And now he's homered in consecutive home games here in Toronto. Well, it took a while for Vlad Jr. It took a long time, almost three months of home games before he was able to connect for that first home run. But once he did, uh, it really started rolling. Two home runs uh, over the weekend for Vladdy Jr. And then on Sunday, he had another big game with a single and a double and more loud contact. So this is big on a couple levels, and it's obvious. I mean, people listening to this podcast are well aware of the importance of Vlad Guerrero Jr., to this team there's little doubt about how different this lineup looks like it honestly it feels like a different team when Vlad Jr. is hitting home runs and I know that's like the most obvious analysis right like it's not too earth shattering but you go from Vlad Jr. singles hitter to Vlad Jr. home run hitter and singles hitter and it's a massive upgrade so you know the Blue Jays have reason to be thrilled here and I think there's like real significance to this one okay it helps them win on saturday and on sunday although he didn't homer on sunday his his contributions were still important 
So great, you're, you're banking wins against a team that you absolutely need to defeat. And then two, it's hard to pinpoint, you know, the mental side of things. We know it's important. It's hard to quantify. But I have to think that for Vladdy Jr. to connect on a couple of home runs at Rogers Center after going nearly three months without hitting a home run in front of his home crowd, I would think that that can allow him to continue targeting the pitches in the strike zone, not to chase the breaking balls off the plate that pitchers are consistently attacking him with, sliders off the plate, sinkers in on the hands. Those pitches that are off the plate, he can get a bat on them because he's got great hand-eye coordination, but he's probably not going to barrel those balls. So he doesn't need to chase them. And I think that the chances of him expanding the zone were honestly bigger when he had zero home runs at home. And I think now that he has a couple of home runs at home, and this is not just me theorizing. I mean, people around the team, uh, people around baseball certainly would back this up, that once you have a couple of home runs and just the ability to relax a little bit, it can hopefully allow Vlad Jr. to continue being disciplined. He absolutely has that skill to be disciplined at the plate. And I would think that his chances of really locking in on his pitch are that much better now that he's got that couple of home runs uh, in the books already and certainly a lot of momentum the OPS over 800 again still not to where you'd hope for Vlad Jr. Um, still a disappointing first half of the season offensively but there's a lot more in there and when you look at the numbers there's a lot more in there people around the team optimistic when you look at his strength when you look at his secondary metrics, the the advanced metrics, the analytics, what that tells us about the quality of contact that Vlad Jr. is making. Combine that with a guy who is very strong, who is seemingly enjoying playing baseball right now. It was nice to see him and Yusei Kikuchi in the dugout on Sunday. Big grins on their faces, really enjoying um, their you know resurgence, their contributions to the team at a time that the team was winning. So wanted to note that as well as Vlad Jr., uh, had his biggest offensive weekend of the season. And Alec Manoa. So Manoa still working through things in Florida. And it does not sound like he is a candidate to pitch on Canada Day the next time the Blue Jays have an open rotation spot. At this point, I'd be surprised if he pitches before the All-Star break um, in a major league game. Um, and it's interesting. He's going to have chances to pitch um, in... Florida to begin with in games and we haven't been told exactly where that's going to take place I don't think the Blue Jays necessarily want a ton of media around there I don't think they necessarily want uh, opposing teams to see Alec Manoa either and it's you know at a certain point you're going to pitch in competitive environments you're going to pitch in front of scouts and everyone's going to be aware of how he's doing what the trackman data looks like what his delivery looks like and really that's the focus here is to get Alec Manoa's delivery on track to a point that he is repeating it and you're not seeing as many of those arm side misses and you're seeing him pitch comfortably with the delivery that resembles the one that that he had in 2021 and 2022 so they're working through that if they could help it don't want to be giving the Yankees extra looks at him and having Alec Manoa pitch in uh, in Tampa at the Yankees facility yeah they've been a little cagey about what exactly is going to be that next step for Alec Manoa, but he did throw a bullpen on the on the weekend. That was the plan for him. And then at some point soon, he's going to be in games against hitters. So the buildup continues, 
And in the meantime, the Blue Jays are really working through things with only uh, four starters. And I'm kind of amazed that they've gone this long with a four-man rotation. That's not how you draw things up at all. But here they are. And I don't see uh, an end in sight to that before the All-Star break. They would have to do a bullpen game a couple more times. So it looks like July 1st would be one. And then they finish the first half of the season on the road against the White Sox and Tigers, two very um, beatable teams. And there's a stretch of six games in a row. So obviously you would need um, a bullpen game at some point during that stretch as well. That's it well out to center field. Back goes Ruiz into right center near the wall. And it's out of here. Tommy Pham with his second home run of the year. Opposite field. Trade deadline. It's coming up in a month, and you know we'll talk about it, I'm sure, basically every episode between now and August 1st. As I said earlier, they're in playoff position, so they're going to be buyers. Um, They are going to be looking to improve this team. And at the same time, I just don't see huge additions happening. And maybe I'll be proven wrong. That would be fun. When you look at, A, the landscape around Major League Baseball, you've got a lot of teams that are in it to some extent. And even the teams that are out of it don't necessarily have a ton to sell. Um, What they do have and what is available will be very much in demand and the prices will be really high. And then you look at a Blue Jays farm system that candidly isn't particularly strong right now. There's just not a ton in there. Addison Barger and Ricky Tiedemann have been hurt for big chunks of the first half. Relvis Martinez is a good prospect, but I don't necessarily see the Blue Jays trading him. So, You're looking then further down into the minor league system. And yeah, those guys have value, um, but there's more risk there. And other teams have have low-level prospects as well. So I just, I don't think the Blue Jays are particularly well positioned to go out there and overwhelm other teams with prospect packages, but they will be buyers. And so what does that look like? I mean, I think we have a template from years past where we've seen the Blue Jays go out and add underperforming established players. Maybe that's a Francisco Liriano type from, you know, that's going back seven years now, or a Jason Grilly type, or a Joaquin Benoit type. 2016 offers us a little bit of a look at the kind of scrap heap options that you can get. And I know, like, scrap, like, that's not exciting, right? To talk about, hey, we can get these guys off the scrap heap. But I honestly kind of think that's where the Blue Jays need to be looking to a certain extent. And it's not to say that you don't look at better options. Obviously, you do. You're going to survey the entire market. You have a full front office of employees. Clearly, they're employed for a reason. You're going to make sure that you have eyes on everything from the edge of the 40-man guy to Shohei Otani. I mean, that's obvious. You're going to look at the full scope of things. But I think the most likely scenario probably has the Blue Jays looking at bounce back types. You know, you're not going to necessarily get like an ace starting pitcher. I don't think they need ace relievers, you know, shut down relievers, but you do need to add to the pitching staff in some form. Maybe that's a bulk pitcher. Maybe that's a setup reliever. Maybe it's another lefty for the bullpen. You need to add because it's not that their pitching staff is a disaster right now, but after August 1st, you can't add anymore in meaningful ways. So, Take advantage of this window and add uh, to a pitching staff that currently has places where you could add. So that's, I think, pretty apparent with respect to the pitching staff. And then 
you know, you look at the offense, and I've been saying this for a while now, but they really need another bat. And, you know, you have, uh, at this point, Ernie Clement on the bench. You can option him. He can stay in the organization. And you can add another bat that you actually really like in big spots. And I think, ideally, you're talking about a right-handed hitter or a switch hitter. Could be a left-handed hitter. Jock Peterson about to arrive in town. And, you know, I, I don't think the Giants are selling at this point. But a Jock Peterson-type bat could work. And I think back to Atlanta a couple years ago when they acquired... You know, I think it was Soler and Duvall um, had such a great Eddie Rosario and totally remade their outfield with these guys who were essentially scrap heap type bats, guys who were underperforming. Um, I think that's a model the Jays can follow, you know, where you're not necessarily going out there and getting a splashy name, but you get someone. And I took a look at names, um, so I'll throw some out here. On June the 26th, with, of course, lots of time to... Uh, to have things change. But if you're just looking for major league caliber bats, Lane Thomas, former Blue Jay with the Nationals, he's having a really good year. He actually has team control though. So I actually think he might be too good for um, for the play. Like, that might be like, I don't know. Is that like an Orioles play? Um, is that, you know, we'll, we'll see what's going to happen there. By the way, side note here, how interesting that Marcus Stroman might be the top starting pitcher available. Do not see him going to the Blue Jays. Um, and I think the Angels are going to be very, continue to be very aggressive. Um, so I could see Stroman pitching for the Angels come uh, August 1st. But we'll see. As for the outfielders for the for the Blue Jays, you know, I also looked at Andrew McCutcheon of the Pirates, but I don't know if the Pirates are just going to want to trade a franchise icon like that away. So uh, I'm putting him more to the back burner as well. Jerickson Profar, switch hitter. I like what he's doing but he's historically really doesn't strike out much. This year's strikeout rate is a little higher. So I might want to see a couple good weeks before, you know, moving on a jerks and profar. Um, Tommy Fan, Mark Canna with the Mets, you know, these guys are the kind of right-handed bat veteran. Costs would be relatively low in terms of prospects and in terms of dollars they can hit. They are major league hitters. And there's something to be said for adding major league hitters to your organization because on August the 15th, it is just a whole lot harder. And on September 15th, it's, you know, basically impossible. So it's, to me, you got to look at this as just a chance to to deepen your organization. The ceiling's already in place. The ceiling is what it is. It's Vlad, it's Bo, it's Springer. Manoa is part of the ceiling. Obviously, Barrios and Gosman. It's a good ceiling. If this team is playing at its best, it's a really good team but you've got to raise the floor because you don't want to be in a situation where you're a game back of the Angels on September the 28th and they went out and they got Marcus Stroman because they gave up what's left of their farm system to get him. And, you know, they have Stroman going and then you're still rolling with a bullpen game. And, you know, Brandon Belt's hurt on the injured list and your DH is Ernie Clement. Like, you'd rather have some reasonable facsimile of a number five starter and Tommy Pham. So, you know, that's kind of the caliber that I'm looking at right here. And if that sounds like really boring, <laughs> you know, I hope I'm wrong. And I hope that uh, I hope that there are bigger names dealt um, and that the Blue Jays can be in those situations because it's always fun to be covering a really active um, trade deadline. But as things stand now, that's how I see it. So we'll leave it there. Like I said, we'll have Shy on in a couple of days and Arden on next week. But in the meantime, 
Thanks for listening to this mini at the letters, at the letters lowercase. And uh, thanks as well to Mike Rogerson for producing this week's episode. And I look forward to talking to you very soon on At The Letters. Listen to At The Letters ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime.